At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Well, we're so glad you're here with us today. My name is Rick Seidel. I haven't met you. I've been the interim campus pastor here for several months. It's been a joy to be a part of this family and getting to know so many of you and serving Christ alongside of you. This is an exciting day. Around six months ago, as we've been going through this process, this interim period, uh, de- determining what God had next for the next chapter of Detroit, uh, about six months ago, it was determined that Tim would not be returning as the campus pastor. And so at that point, uh, a search began a prayerful search, a one in which we, we reached out to people that we knew, uh, the leadership, Chris Brooks, Steve Zarelli, myself, other people from Woodside began to put the word out that the Detroit campus was looking for its next shepherd, its next pastor to come and lead. And so that process has been going on over the last several months. And first of all, let me just thank you for praying, for being a part of that process. You might not feel you've been a part of that process, but every single prayer that's been lifted up is part of that process. It's the most important part. So thank you for that. And through this process, it's, it's boiled down to, I can say, a young man. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> a man named Victor. Victor New... Oh, my gosh. Newman... Ah, yes. I knew I was going to do this. I knew it. And I've been practicing out in the hallway all day, I tell you. <laughs> New... Manya. I'm so sorry, Victor. I'm sorry. You love me anyway, don't you? <laughs> awesome. Victor is here with us today. And uh, he's not just been here today. He's been here for a couple weeks now. He's been meeting with several leaders here at the campus and across Woodside. Um, and then this week, this weekend, his wife, Sajel, and their beautiful daughters have joined him to be here with us. And he's going to be preaching in a few moments. So all of you have not been able to be a part of the process that's going on these last few weeks. Let me just say a few things. He's been able to meet with the staff. Wednesday night, we had a very sweet time of fellowship of just uh, hearing from him and him hearing from the, from the staff an update. Uh, the interesting thing about Victor, he's known to many of you, but he's not been around for the last three years, and he'll be giving an update a little bit about what God's been doing in his life and his heart, leading him to this moment. But we were able to pray with him and to interact with him. And then Saturday morning, yesterday, several of the campus leaders, the elders, deacons, deaconesses, spouses, some ministry leaders got together for a brunch, and Sajel joined him, and we were able to have a little Q&A and to get to know their hearts better. So let me just summarize a few things. In fact, Victor, why don't you come on up next to me? As he's coming, um, let me just summarize a few thoughts. Give him a hand. Victor, uh, there's a few things that I wanted to share as you get ready to preach today, because you can't share everything. But a few words that came to my heart and mind this morning, even as I was thinking about you and how what I've heard come out from you consistently. First of all, Victor is a man of passion. He has got a deep abiding passion and love for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Much of that coming out of what he's saved you from and what he's done in your life and the grace and mercy and the power that's been just evident in your life. He's also passionate about people. He's passionate about his home country of Uganda. You may get into that a little bit. Some of you have been to Uganda with him on a mission trip. But he's also passionate about Detroit, his adopted city. And that has come through uh, very clearly to me. He's passionate. He's also a man of prayer a man of prayer. And 
he's convicted me even in that commitment to prayer, an area that I need to step into more. And so I appreciate that about you. I'm learning from you on that one. He's a man of prayer. He's also a man with good priorities. He prioritizes his wife and his children and his role as a father. And that is so needed for longevity ministry, not just for the health of the church, but the health for your family and the next generations. And so, again, I just praise God for that. I said, there's another P there was. Oh, yes, here it is. He's got a pastor's heart. It's got to be alliterated. Okay, I'm a pastor, right? Yeah, it's got to be alliterated. He's got a pastor's heart. Yes, he's got that apostolic leaning. He can go out into the future and to tackle new territory. Take that hill. I see that in him. God has done that with him. So he's got that apostle gift. He's an evangelist. He's led many to Christ. He's, um, he's a good teacher, and you'll see that in a few minutes. He's a great leader. But I think ultimately, Victor, if I were to summarize who you are, you're a pastor. You're a shepherd. You're a shepherd. You love people, and God has called you to be a pastor. And I've seen that, and and many of you have witnessed that already. So those are some things I just wanted to share because you can't be involved in all of those things. And uh, so Victor's going to go ahead and introduce his family, tell a little bit about their story. Sage, I'm going to give you the mic. So if you want to share a few thoughts, you can do that. Come on out. And uh, as they're coming, (laughs) give them an applause. Come on over here. You guys are stunning, I got to tell you, aren't they? This is great. I'm just going to say a word of prayer, and then I'll grab your uh, podium also, Victor, for you, and then you guys can just share a few thoughts, and then we will enjoy your ministry in the Word today. Would you do me a favor? Would you extend your hand towards us right now as I pray a special blessing over them? In fact, I'm going to come up here. Father God, we thank you for this family. Father, we thank you for the way that you've been leading them and guiding them over these several months, even years, Father. We thank you for Victor and Sejo. We thank you for the way that you've knitted them together. We thank you for Chloe and Ayla, Lord, and for what they add to this family. Father, we thank you that you are the, you are the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church, Father, but we know we need leaders. We know that you have designed the church to function with healthy, godly, prayerful leaders. And God, I thank you for a man named Victor, who you've brought to us today. And God, even as we've sung, give us vision to see things like you do. We just want clarity, Father, both for them and for this church, Father. Whatever your will is, I pray, Father, that you would make that clear even this morning and the next coming days as we go from here, God. But God, I pray that as Victor comes now and and he preaches your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would speak mightily through him. And that we would leave here not just with more head knowledge, but with, with a heart that is bent more to you, who is holy, holy, holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning, church. Praise the Lord. I'm Sajel. As, um, I've just been introduced. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Uh, we have been away for some years. I'm graduating this month from residency. It's been a long road. We wouldn't have made it this far uh, without, without Victor. He's been a wonderful father to these girls. He's homeschooled uh, during the pandemic, and <laughs> <It's not easy. laughs> that was temporary. It's not they're, easy. <laughs> <laughs> they're back at school now, um, not summer break. But uh, it's really been uh, amazing that even with the distance, I know when we were getting ready for our move to Alabama that we were up on the same 
stage on, on Selden, um, Pastor Tim was praying for us and, and that, we're, that we're still a family and that even with that distance, um, people in this room, people who aren't here this morning have continued to walk with us and support us. And so it's been our heart, even from the time we left, that we saw ourselves coming back. I'll be working on the east side um, as a family medicine doctor, and these girls will be studying um, in Detroit here. So we're, we're moving in, and thank you for inviting us here um, to be part of this this morning. Amen. Amen. Hey, girls, you want to say hi to the church? Oh, you want to say hi? Okay. Say your name. Say your name. How old are you? Six. Uh, what's your name? Chloe. Um, what's your favorite story in the Bible? No? <laughs> what's your name, sister? Isla. Isla. How old are you? Four. Four? Where were you born? Chloe, where were you born? <laughs> uh, both of them were born in uh, Detroit uh, at Hatso. Uh, we bless the Lord for uh, Detroit family. Can we clap for my family, please? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Savior. All right. Amen, amen, amen. I'm very humbled to be, uh, to hear all those beautiful words. Uh, from Pastor Rick and everyone that has uh, put everything together. But above all, thanking God for putting this moment together that we are able to come here as a family, travel, uh, and uh, meet our family, uh, Woodside, Detroit. I want to tell you one thing. That, you know, Woodside, one of the values they put out there, if you have the brochure or something, you open the website, you're going to see that Woodside celebrates family. And it's a great thing. And you see that Woodside is proud of it. We say we are family. But I want to say something more about that. You can easily miss it. You can easily miss that family element of Woodside. When we walked in Woodside at the former location, it was in 2014, we had searched around and looked for different churches. And that night, the previous night Saturday, my wife was looking online and figuring out where we're going to go next. And she found this church that had some reviews and people were commenting about it. And she said, let's go to that church. I said, I'm tired of looking. I'm tired of looking. Let's just go. But I'll tell you, the moment we walked in the building, the atmosphere was different. I don't know if you've ever experienced that when you walked in Woodside Detroit. The atmosphere was different. And I told my wife immediately, I said, this is going to be our home. So I went, after service, I went and told Pastor Tim Aldridge, and I said, hey, man, I want you to know that we really feel the presence of God in this place, but the atmosphere is very welcoming, and there's a sense of family. This is going to be a family. And Tim Aldridge said, yeah, yeah, man, that's, that's so cool. That I said, no, you don't, you don't get it. 
I grew up in Uganda. Family is very important. Community is very important. We are attached to one another. My neighbor can spank my kids and I say nothing. I can be driving down the street and people sitting next at a bar drinking and I am obligated to get out of my car and go greet them and leave some money there. You can't keep your windows up driving in the neighborhood. People will cast you out. You are not part of a community. How do you live like that? So when I moved in in Woodside, Detroit, I felt that spirit of people not putting their car windows up, but lowering their guard down to become a family. Now, I want to invite you in that family. If you have been trying coming in and sliding out, coming in and sliding out, I want to invite you and encourage you to cultivate that family that God has already started in this city. Be part of that family. A family that will do life together. A family that will pray together. A family that will go through issues, lament together. A family that will uh, encourage each other. A family that will visit one another. Where you have friends at church and you go to their homes and you don't have to ask permission to open their fridge. You can literally go there and say, hey, I know where your tea bags are. I know where you keep your spoons. I know where you keep your cheese. How many love that? How many would love to see that? (laughs) Amen, amen. Amen, amen. So I love the spirit of family at Woodside. Now, when I was told that I would be sharing the book of Lamentations, I was like, Lamentations? What a message for a visiting candidate. (laughs) What a book. But as I read through Lamentations, I realized that God really loves us to give us such a passage for a season like this. God really loves us. So I want to give credit to the people who uh, put down this uh, series. It's not an easy book. It's one of those books I think Pastor Doug said that it's one of those books where the pages are still held together. People don't open Lamentations quite a lot. But after reading through it, something stuck out. Whoever wrote the series, they said, they called it Good Morning. Good Morning. And Taking Our Sorrows to the Savior. Now, I want you to go back a little bit and ask yourself, why good morning? That means there is another kind of morning that's not good. There is a kind of morning that is self-centered. There's a kind of morning that seeks attention to yourself. But there is a kind of morning that grieves with God, that invites God in the process. And that is good morning. Now, I want to see, I don't know what ideas are dancing in your head, but when I think about good morning, I think about driving in a neighborhood and looking at empty lots and looking at abandoned houses, and you pull your car on the side and you say, this is not a good sight. 
Father, I declare a hospital in that place. Father, I declare a school in that place. Father, I declare where you see liquor stores serving as shopping malls in neighborhoods. What do we do as children of God? How do we mourn with God? That is what I call good mourning. A few months ago, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, where we live, we live in a very uh, underserved community. Uh, very broken. My wife works with the patients that don't have insurance, um, and uh, the clinic is in that underserved community. It's called West End. You can look it up. West End, Birmingham, Alabama. A lot of crime. But what happened a few months ago, our neighbor across the street, just across the street from our house, was shot in the head by his wife in front of children. And that was not the major deal. The major deal is that a few days later, of course, police came and cordoned the whole area. And then what happened next is what was very interesting to me. The cars pulled in and the feast began. There was parting at the house. Parting, drinking, cussing, parting, drinking, cussing. I know these young men were angry, but it had been a busy neighborhood. You know, you, when you live in such neighborhoods, there's drugs there, drugs there, drugs there. So what happened is that the parting continued towards the funeral. And I sat on my porch and I asked, a young man of 29 years was killed by his wife in front of his children. And here are family members, fellows from different corners of the state coming to party and to drink. Why can one incident teach us how to mourn together? And this neighborhood, I won't spend more time, is next to the biggest cemetery in the state. The cemetery is around 420 acres. And we drive by it every day. I was talking to my brother Ryan the other day. I said, why even living next to a cemetery? Why can't we slow down and read the names on those tombstones and realize that these were people with dreams and visions that are laying down there? The ironic part is that the neighborhood next to it, where we live, is where crime is at the highest. So it dances in my head and asks myself, how could crime, high crime, be next to a cemetery? That means we're not mourning enough. We're not mourning with God. So good morning. I want to invite you on this journey to mourn together. Last week, we talked about how we can mourn, but also find hope in the morning. But before I go there, as I told you, I was born in Uganda. And uh, in 1995, my, father, my mother passed away to HIV, and my, my father passed away in 2001. But before my dad died, he told me these words. He said, men don't cry. Men don't cry. And it stuck with me. Eventually, I lost many siblings on the way. And as they died, I wouldn't cry 
because men don't cry. And I saw my cousins crying for my siblings. My cousins crying for my siblings. And I would tell them, do you think they're going to come back? You can cry. Because my father told me, men don't cry. Now that sounds like Uganda, right? But I want to bring it back to Woodside. On one of the mission trips I was organizing to go to Uganda, I met a couple through Woodside. They lost a baby. They were newly married and they lost a baby. And they were so angry at God that they spent a whole year coming to church and they would stand in the pews and pocket and never mention a word to anybody. And after service, they would walk out and go home. It happened day after day. They never told anybody. They tried to deal with it by themselves. It crushed them, and eventually, they left the ministry. That's not good morning. Good morning invites other people in. Good morning invites others on the journey. And you say, I want to cry with you. I want to do life with you. It is easy to hear these stories, okay? Death, abuse, loss of children, racism, hate, and look aside. It is easy. As children of God, it is easy from where we are in the comfort of our homes. We hear all this stuff and say, oh, it happened in another neighborhood. It doesn't concern me. It happened that it doesn't concern me. It is easy to play the bystander game. When things are going well on your side. But this is what I want to remind us. That life is messy. Whether you like it or not. In your home, in your neighborhood. Life is messy. But the good news is. That the son of the living God. Jesus Christ. When he came. He knew how messy that life is. You know what he did? Think with me, John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible. What does it say? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. What leads to the weeping? Maybe he wept because of the unbelief, but because he had lost a friend. He is in the middle of human mess. Now, us children of God, ah. Uh, Something has happened in that neighborhood. Oh, it doesn't concern me. It doesn't concern me. The justice system is corrupt. It doesn't concern me because I don't have a kid in a jail. This, it doesn't concern me. We've got to be a family that mourns together. So, to lament is the means to weep with those who weep. I'm trying to build towards that. We lament together. It is God's will as a family that we navigate joys and pains together. As you already know, and you can tell, I love community. Everywhere we go with my family, we try to cultivate community. Because 
A Christian life is incomplete without community. Let me say that again. A Christian life is incomplete without community. We lament with those who weep. Somebody say that ours is not one person against the world, but one great family living out together the mandate to care for one another. Praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me see the hands of somebody who's saying, I would do life with other people. I will lament with somebody. Glory to God. Glory to God. So last week, we looked at the prophet's hope in the midst of affliction. And then this is what he said. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is your faithfulness. And so this week, one of the things we are going to be looking at, at how to lament with hope, is to remember the heart of God. Remember the heart of God. In the midst of lamenting. I remember the story of Joseph. In the book of Genesis, Joseph is one of those stories why I like to go to. In the middle of the pandemic, when the pandemic was just beginning, our neighbor church, our neighbor church asked me to preach, and I said, oh, Joseph, Joseph. So I love Joseph so much. And one of the things I learned from Joseph is that in the midst of betrayal from his family, Joseph was betrayed, Joseph, Joseph was wrongfully imprisoned. Joseph was what? Mention it. You're Bible readers. I want some hands up. What did Joseph do, Dimitri? Oh, you're going to say <laughs> Dimitri says, I know you're going to do it. Okay. Joseph's story. What do you remember about Joseph's story? Okay, okay. Special relationship. Micah, what do you remember about Joseph? He was, imp- he was forgotten in the prison by the baker and the cupbearer. What else do you remember about Joseph? Come on, church. Come on. Huh? Accused of rape. Things he did not do. He was accused of rape. We're talking about remembering the heart of God. I want us to... Wake up a little bit and remember the heart of God. Uh huh. What do we remember about Joseph? Uh, he was thrown in a well. He was thrown in a ditch, not a well. Uh huh. Thank you. Uh huh. He had. Okay. Joseph. One last one. Thank you. Uh huh. Good job, my man. Okay. He remained faithful to God. So even in our lament, you, we can bury our head like a ostrich in the desert. We've got to remember the heart of God in the midst of all this. And this is what happens. Can we read that verse, those verses? Uh, remember the heart of God, verse 25. 
35, 31 to 33. The Lord is good, and we're reading chapter 3 of Lamentations. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And then verses 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from, uh, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The purpose and heart of God is not to destroy, but through difficulties, our hmm? through difficulties, our faith may be deepened. I want you to remember that when before Joseph went to the prison, he was a mere dreamer, just a mere dreamer. Remember that? But in the, just a dreamer. But in the midst of afflictions, in the midst of character refinement, in the midst of being forgotten, he never quit depending on his God. And because of that, because of that faith, because of remembering the heart of God, you know what God does him? He shifts him from being a mere dreamer to a dream interpreter. Moving from being a mere dreamer to an interpretation university. Now, this guy has elevated. But that doesn't happen when you don't remember the heart of God. Remember the heart of God in the midst of your affliction. Joseph needed a season of incubation. He needed to be incubated to move beyond dreaming and start inter interpreting dreams. In the book of Micah chapter 7, verse 18 to 19, when the prophet Micah saw the coming destruction of Jerusalem, these are the words he said. <clears throat> he, could still know, he could still know the heart of God. And he said, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. Even when things around you are falling apart, remember the heart of God. Remember the heart of God. God is not wrath. God is love. Remember the heart of God. Remember. Now let me tell you. One of the hardest things to bear as a human being, I know, even us, one of the hard things to bear is to help somebody and they never remember. One of the saddest things that will ever happen to you, it's going to happen maybe, I don't know. But one of the saddest things that can happen to you is helping somebody and they don't remember. Let me give you a story in the Bible. You say, oh, wait a minute. Remember the story of Lazarus? We just talked about Jesus weeping. There is nowhere we see in the Bible. Lazarus giving a testimony. 
that Jesus, I want to see a Lazarus in the Bible saying, while I was dead and buried in the, in the grave for those days, man, you can't imagine what I saw. I was deep. I don't know where he was. We don't know because he never told a story. He didn't tell a story. All we hear is Lazarus being reported. But what happened? What led to his death? I mean, the Bible doesn't give us those details. But when you help somebody and they don't remember, it's very painful. And the children of Israel had forgotten the heart of God. What happens is that they are bound and they are taken to, they are taken to captivity because they did not remember. They sinned, they worshipped idols, they forsook the ways of God. Let us be a church that remembers the heart of God. Number two, carry your cry to the Lord. Carry your cry to the Lord. Verse 55 to 63. I call your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have, their, you have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my silence against me all the day long. Behold, they are sitting and they are rising. I am the object of their taunts. I am the object of their taunts. If Jeremiah is the author of Lamentations, and so it takes us back to the story when he was thrown in a system. In Jeremiah 38, verse 6, where he was thrown and lowered in a system because he was proclaiming judgment on the nation of Israel. And he was speaking the truth. And what happens is that this man is sinking in a cistern full of mud. And he says, remember them, Lord. He carried his cries to the Lord. Now I want to tell you this, that each one of us has a sinking moment. Every one of us has a sinking moment. I don't care where you come from. I don't care how you tall you are. But that, sink, that sinking moment will level, will level all of us. It will level all of us. If you go in the Bible, you see men and women that had sinking moments. Prophet Elijah, the man we celebrate, he runs away from Jezebel after doing miracles and miracles, and the man is stuck in the wilderness he had experienced a seeking moment. If it was today's psychological advancement, 
Elijah would be diagnosed with, with severe, extreme anxiety, depression. Everything would be thrown at him. He was sinking. What do you do when you're sinking? What do you hold on to when you're sinking? When the world is swallowing you up and you have nobody to hold you on the side. Who do you hold on to? I remember the story of Isaac. When his father died, Isaac went and lived in a place called Gera. Uh, he lived with the Philistines. And one of the Philistine leaders, Abimelech, he said, you, Isaac became so powerful. So eventually the king said, you have become so powerful for us. And they pushed him to the desert, to the edge of the desert. The name is called Gera. They pushed him. Each one of us has a Gera moment where life pushes you at the edge of the desert. The edge of the desert. And the Bible tells me that Isaac began, that's when he woke up. He realized, whoa, I need wells for my cows. I need wells for my people. And he started redigging the wells of his father, Abraham. You can go back and read that story in Genesis 26. And he started redigging those wells. And when he started redigging them, the Philistines came and covered those wells. And he redacted the wells and they come and they covered them. And his servants came and they say, they covered those wells as we say, dig more. They dug, he dug more and they covered them. Who do you hold on to when you're sinking? When opposition, when oppression is surrounding you? Carry your cry to the Lord. My wife and I said, I got to have to share this. You forgive me later. My wife and I have been going through a hard season. Moving family, planning to go to Uganda, getting a house. Uh, what else? Remind me. A lot of things. Finishing residency. Things have been so many. And my wife is a planner, type A. She wants to plan and she loves it. I am a free spirit. I always tell her, I'll cross Jordan when I get there. <laughs> She's like, and so we, ha we were on this beautiful vacation. My in-laws were very generous. They offered us a space to stay in the Smoky Mountains. Anybody going to the Smoky Mountains? North Carolina, great place. So we went there. And on our way back, ah, planning. <laughs> I think I was driving. She was driving. And she started talking. So, babe. What if this doesn't work? What if? I'm like, I just came back from vacation. I don't want. Hey, kids, kids, do you, anybody has plugs, earplugs? I want to get some earplugs. She's like, Victor, hear me out, hear me out. Planning. How many are planners in the house? Can we clap for them? <laughs> the world would be a miserable place. If God did not give us planners, I respect you, and I respect Sejo. But in a conversation, I said, Sejo, can we not focus so heavily on planning and leave room for the ministry of the Holy Spirit? 
Now, free spirits, raise your hand and clap for Jesus. Yes. Now, that is a spirit of a free spirit. Can we leave room in our planning for the ministry? And I said, can you please allow? I said, I want to hear this on your tongue. Lord, I depend on you. Lord, I depend on you. Not my creativity. Not how smart I am. Not how much I can squeeze in my work schedule. Not how... Lord, I depend on you. Now, that is a hard place to be. Especially in a fast paced society that we live in. But I want to invite you. Carry your cry. To the Lord. Carry your cry to the Lord. I'll finish with this point and I'll be done and we can, we can pray. I'm about to finish. Number three, wait on the Lord to carry out justice. Wait on the Lord to carry out justice. Can we read those verses? We'll read verse 26 and then we jump to 64 to 66. Verse 26. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then in verse 64, he says, You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Wait on the Lord to carry out justice. Mark those words. Those two words. Wait quietly. In verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly. Wait <laughs> quietly. Confidently and without complaint, waiting for God's help. Now I know some of us, again, we are free spirits, but some of us are very skilled complaining people. Everything that comes, why would he do that? We point fingers. It is their fault, not my fault. They have, they should fix that. Why Michigan roads are bad? Why are taxes going? Gases, gas prices are high. We, we complain about everything. But we don't have that space of saying, let me wait on the Lord to carry out justice. Wait. How does this look in a society, again, that feeds on instant results? We want justice, and we want it now. That's who we are. We have no room to wait for God. We don't have room to wait. We just want things to happen right away. It is harder to wait, but even waiting quietly, confidently. Now, even as Jeremiah waited, he had a version of justice in his mind. I'm about to finish. So he had a version in his mind about justice. And the justice he had was, okay, our children, our daughters and sons, brothers and sisters 
have been dragged into captivity. I know the justice of God will prevail and they'll be brought back. That's a great thing. But I want you to know that in the waiting quietly, there's so much that happens. God is weaving a story using the political and religious uh, platform of that time, terrain of that time, to weave a grand story. That through that waiting, as Jeremiah was anticipating, yes, the remnant came back from captivity. We know that. But out of that waiting, God is weaving something bigger. Something bigger that will redeem the whole world. Something bigger, some story that will not just redeem the Jews, but will bring you and me alike in that narrative of redemption. God is waiting for something bigger. So even as we wait on the Lord, we might be waiting and have anticipation of something that we think, oh, this is how I wish God would do it this way. I wish it works out that way. God is working something out. We're bigger than your imagination. It is good to wait for the Lord. In the book of Romans, this is what it says. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all the things? Who shall bring any church against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Now you can, you can keep going on with the verse. But I'll, I'll give this uh, example and then I'll finish. Thank you. Thank you, Dimitri. As a father, I've learned many things. And one of them is that it is not easy to raise a child, a daughter, and give them out. For marriage. It is not easy. Now listen to me, Claire. I don't have an experience as you, Papa Jim and Pastor Rick, and you guys who have daughters and you've given them uh, congratulations, ladies who have just gotten married. But I'm realizing every day, I'm, thank, I'm so thankful for Paul Tremblay, the man who raised my wife, Sejo, every day. Why? Because when you give out your daughter, you've literally given out. Everything. Time, talent, and treasure. Now, there is nothing. In my culture, we pay dowry, and boys come around bragging. After paying dowry, he comes in the house and says, young girl, I paid my cows for you. You wash my dishes, you polish my shoes, you cook my food, you do A, B, C, D, because I paid my dowry. Now, let me tell you, there is no amount of dowry that can replace a child. When I give you my child, I have given you everything. You can come, take the car as well. Take the house as well. Because I worked so hard for them to get these things. You can take them. Now when God says, when God gives his son, when God gives his son for us, he has given us everything. The book of John says this words. The father loves the son, John chapter 3, verse 35, and has given all things into his hands. 
The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. When we receive the Son, we receive all things. That includes justice. That includes love. That includes mercy. That includes grace. That includes community. That includes everything that Jesus embodied. Because the Father has already given. Can we receive that gift? Can we receive time, talent, treasure, reconciliation, integration, community, justice that has been placed in the Son? It is through Christ that our justice has been fulfilled. On my trip, one of my trips, on mission trips to, in East Africa, I was heading to Nairobi. And uh, I met a man of God on a bus. It was a 17-hour bus ride. Kampala to Nairobi. And we sat and we started talking. I shared my story, he shared his story. And the man of God, after hearing me for many hours, he looked at me and said, young man, that was in 2014. He told me, young man, you are a conduit of God's blessing. I said, sir, I understand a conduit is like a pipe. He said, yeah, it's a pipe. I said, how does a pipe benefit by being just a pipe? Now listen, Kelly, Clary. He's, he told me, when a pipe is flowing with water, it stays wet. When a pipe stops flowing with water, it rusts. Now, all of us are conduits, conduits of God's justice. Wherever we are, you stop flowing with justice and mercy, you will rust and die. You keep flowing. You stay wet. Your children will be wet for generations. Your community will be wet. People will be attracted to the water that flows out of you. I want to tap on that. Because there's something spectacular, peculiar, that is flowing out of you. Will you become that conduit? Will you embody the justice that Jesus brought to us and was willing to die for on the cross? Where you and I were not accepted. In the presence of God. But now we have full spectrum of it. We can walk straight into it and say, I am your son. I am your daughter. That took a lot of sacrifice on the cross. You are a conduit of God's blessing. Don't you forget that. So the word will be attracted to us say I want to be part of that family because they know how to wait on God they know how to cry to their God they know how to become the conduit of God's blessing America needs conduits America needs conduits of God's blessings can we pray for more conduits can we stand on our feet And join me in this prayer.
Heavenly Father, you did not spare your son and you sent him for us to become the bridge for us who are cast out, who are forgotten, to become the path for us to walk in your presence. Father, we come at your feet this afternoon seeking for that mercy, seeking for that reminder that you are our God, that you are our portion, and you we put all our hope, oh God. And we want to learn to wait. We want to learn to wait. It is hard to wait in a season like this when things are falling apart, when prices are increasing, when hatred is everywhere, on social media, in the political offices, when hate is on the street, when hate is thrown in our face. It is hard to wait. We want to act. We go there with anger. We go there with frustration. But we want to learn to wait on you, my God. Teach us to wait, oh God. Teach us to wait. To wait on you. Knowing that there is a bigger plan that you are orchestrating. There is a bigger story you are weaving together. There is a bigger miracle that is yet to happen somewhere. That you are a God who works behind the scenes. In the waiting, greater things happen. But also teach us to carry our cry to you. Not to our children. Not to our political leaders. But to carry our cry to you. Not just to our pastors. Because when we carry our cries to you, you mold us, you shape us, you refine us, you turn, it into, you turn us into leaders that you've always intended us to be. Justice is yours, oh God. Justice is yours, my God. We wait on you to carry out justice. In our neighborhoods, in our country, we seek your face every day. Shall we seek the face of God to carry out that justice that we all desire in the name of Jesus? So our neighbors, those who are doubting and conflicted, will be attracted, will be attracted to that grace that you've given us. Thank you, Father. I pray for your children as we go in a new week. Give us fresh anointing, fresh anointing to tackle questions of the day. Direct our thoughts, deepen our faith, my God. Stretch our understanding, widen our dependence on you. We want to depend on you. We need you, Father, more than a deer needs water. We need you, God. Widen our understanding, deepen our faith, remold our character. That will be like you, the salt and the light of the world. We give you praise. For yours is the glory and the power and the kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And together we say, Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.